Minnesota, and what I discovered is that I am not in ninth or tenth grade anymore. And uh, I kind of wondered why all the other faculty that were my age were just sitting there and watching while I tried to participate in some of the athletic endeavors of these young people. And uh, but I'm here. I survived. I only bruised or maybe cracked a rib or two when I tried to run and bend over and pick up a kickball and realized that I might be a little more front heavy than I used to be, and the balance of weight threw me onto the ground. But uh, one kid goes, I thought we were going to have to call the paramedics. And I said, we're about to. And, uh, and, uh, but it was good. And this morning, we're going to be diving into Romans chapter 10, primarily a little bit of chapter 9. And There's some confusion that's going on among the people of God, and it kind of reminded me, uh, when I was in college, when I got to, I transferred into Nebraska Christian College to play basketball, and back then, 20-some years ago, they had some rules that they, they wouldn't have anymore today, but they were rules back then that I had to abide by, and there were things that I understood why, but the one that always got me was I got there, and I had a goatee back then, and I had just learned how to grow facial hair a couple weeks before that, so I was pretty excited. And our coach goes, yeah, that's going to have to come off. And I said, what? He goes, "Uh, yeah, no facial hair on the team. And I said, but coach, this is what gets the ladies. Come on, right? This is some sweet chin music here. And uh, he says, "It's, it's gone. And he says, it comes off. All right, so I shaved it, and I had to not have a goatee the two years I played there. Well, then fast forward about three or four years later, and I had quit playing ball. I had blown out my knee, and so I was coaching girls basketball there, and my coach was still the men's coach. And all of a sudden, we recruited this guy named Jason, and Jason came to college, and he had kind of a a beard similar to mine, like kind of that 5 o'clock shadowy beard. And I thought, oh, you're in for a rude awakening, young man. And uh, pretty soon, two weeks into the practice, I, I walked by and I'm like, he didn't shave. Like, oh, coach is probably wait until the season starts. And pretty soon, the first game rolls around and he still has a beard. And I'm like, what is the deal? And so I, I pulled coach aside one day and I said, hey, coach, how come when I transferred in, I had to shave this? And when he transferred in, he didn't. Like, I'm confused. And coach looked at me, and he had a very matter-of-fact answer. He looked at me, and he said, Justin, it's really simple. He goes, it's actually a very easy answer for you this morning. I said, great. He goes, he's way better than you were. (laughs) He was right. (laughs) Well, we hit this juncture in Romans this morning where Paul begins to describe some confusion that's happening. Because Israel, God's people, the people of God, they're stumbling over this new covenant, this idea of being saved through Jesus. And and those who were, quote-unquote, supposed to be saved aren't, and those who who weren't most likely to be saved are. And and they they come, and, and Paul is seeing this confusion of, well, I thought it was this way. Why is it this way? And what has changed? And I don't understand. And And Paul confronts Israel and God's people, and he actually gives them three very easy to grasp, very clear, very basic answers to this confusion. And the first thing that that Paul tells them is he says, if you're confused, let let me clear this up for you. Let let me make it really simple. It's, It's not very difficult. He says, everything is about what you do with Jesus. That's it. 
He says, if, if you're confused about who gets in and who doesn't and why these people and why not us and why them and why not them, and he says, if all this is confusing to you, he said, let me make it really simple. Everything is about what you do with Jesus. That's it. He, he starts in verse 30 of chapter 9. He says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they've attained it? That is, that is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who did pursue the law, that would lead to righteousness, they did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they, excuse me, they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Chapter 10, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they would be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they are ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they are seeking to establish their own righteousness that they did not submit to God's. For Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Paul starts out here, and he says, he makes it very clear, he says, you cannot succeed, you cannot be made right with God on your own. You can't obey the law enough to be made right with God. Your obedience, Paul says, cannot save you. It's all about Jesus. And Paul says there's confusion. The, the people of God don't understand why Paul is bringing in people who were far from God and why Paul is saying that they're saved, but Paul's telling them who have tried to obey the law their whole life, who have lived based on works, who have pursued God, and he says, but you're not saved if you don't know Jesus. And they're confused, and they're upset, and they say, well, Paul, why is it this way? I thought it was this way. Why is it that way? And Paul says, you missed it. He says, let me make it really clear. You cannot be made right with God on your own. He says, everything in terms of being made right with God is about what you do with Jesus. That's it. And Paul says, Jesus is a stumbling block to Israel. He's a stumbling block because he forced them to recognize they could not obtain salvation on their own. They could not be good enough to be saved. And the reality is Jesus is still a stumbling block for many of us because we want to achieve something. We want to, we want to earn something. We want to say our hard work paid off, and, and that's what got us there. But Paul says if that's the way you live, you'll never get there. That Jesus, he, he didn't end the law. He, he's not saying that obedience doesn't matter. Paul says... Jesus ended the law being able to save you. He says you can't be made righteous by the law. Jesus ended that. So, so why would they stumble over Jesus? Well, I think it's because faith in Jesus requires that, that you and I, we lay down all ideas that we can save ourselves. We lay down all ideas that we have a, a part in this and that, and that we can achieve this and that we can make ourselves righteous if we're just good enough. We have to lay all that down and just accept that we can't and that Jesus can. You and I have to humble ourselves so that Jesus can raise us up. See, as long as anybody thinks they can earn salvation, Jesus will always be a stumbling block. And Paul says if you're confused about who gets in and who doesn't and who's saved and who's not. He says, let me make it really easy for you. The answer to that is, is only and always about what you do with Jesus. See, see the reality is that, that Jesus will be one of two things for you and me. 
Jesus will either be the rock that we build our lives on, the foundation that our life sits upon, the rock that doesn't move when the storms come, he'll either be that, or he's going to be the rock that we stumble over as we try to earn our way back to God. So church, the, the question this morning really is very simple. Who is he for you? Who is Jesus for you? Is he the foundation that your entire life is built upon? See, foundations matter. Foundation is what everything that comes after is built on. A foundation dictates how everything goes. It's the basis for every decision and every moment with every person in every situation in every action in your life. Foundations dictate what comes next. And so is Jesus your foundation this morning? Because if Jesus is the foundation, then I can go and I can be built into who God wants me to be. I can't do it on my own, but if Jesus is the foundation, he can build into my life who he intended me to be. Or is Jesus a stumbling block? Because you don't want your life built on him. See, see, stumbling blocks are different than foundations. You don't build on them, you trip over them. See, see, stumbling blocks are the things that keep you from getting where you intended to go. And, and if you and I think that we can earn our way back to God, then Jesus will always be something we trip over, not something we live for. Because Jesus says in order to get back to God, you have to stop at Jesus. And you have to build your life on him as he gets you and I back to God. Paul tells Israel, and he would tell you and I this morning, if you're confused about this, if you're trying to figure out how you get into heaven and how you don't, if you're trying to figure out who gets made right with God and who doesn't, if you're trying to figure out how to have a life that looks like Jesus, he says, let me make it really clear. It's really easy. It's actually not a complicated answer. He says, everything is about what you do with Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says, but here's the good news. Jesus' invitation is open to everybody. Everything in your life depends on what you do with Jesus, but here's the good news. Jesus is for everybody. He, he goes on in verse 5, and he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments will live by them. But the righteousness that's based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Do not say in your heart who will descend into the abyss, that's to bring Jesus up. But what does it say? Paul says, The word is near you. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, Paul says, one believes and is justified, is made right with God. And with your mouth, one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, everyone... Everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter where you come from. For the same Lord is Lord of everyone, bestowing his riches on everyone who calls on him. Everyone, Paul says it again in case you missed it, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul says, here's the deal. If you're confused about who's made right with God, he says, let me make it super easy for you. It all depends on what you do with Jesus. If Jesus is your foundation, you're right with God. If you think you can earn it on your own, you're not. You can never be made right with God. The only way you can be made right with God is through Jesus. 
He says, but, but here's the deal. Jesus is for everybody. There's not a single person who will ever come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And Jesus will go, eh, no thanks. He never does that. Paul says he's for everyone. In fact, Paul wants to make sure we understand that so much that he repeats it like 50 times. Everyone, everyone, all, all. He says there's, there's no exceptions. See, see, Paul says belief is the vehicle that gets us to Jesus. And he says belief comes from your heart and confession comes from your mouth. He says it's not anything you do it's who you believe in and who you submit to. That's why, that's why God gives us that beautiful picture of baptism. It's not anything we do. That baptism is that public way that we confess that Jesus is actually, he died for us, and that our old life is dead and our new life is raised. And Paul says that's open to everybody. Because God really does want everyone to be saved. He really does. That's why in 2 Peter, Peter said that God is not slow in fulfilling his promise of Jesus returning. As some would think of slowness, he says God is actually patient towards us because God doesn't want, he doesn't wish that anybody would perish. But God wants that everyone would reach repentance and come back to God. Paul reminds you and I that this idea of who's made right, it's personal, like Paul says, Jesus' offer of salvation is for everyone, but it's also just for you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. And Paul says, Jesus died so that everyone could be saved. But Paul also reminds us that Jesus would have died if it was only you that would be saved. It all comes back to what you do with Jesus. And Paul reminds you and me that that invitation is for everyone. It's for you, it's for me, it's for the people next to you, it's for the people behind you, it's for people who have never came here, it's for the people in your life that you hate, it's for the people that you and I deep down really don't think should get to heaven, right? Paul says it has nothing to do with what you've done. Guess what? You can be the best, nicest person in the world that will not save you. And you can be the horrible, worst atrocity of evil the world has ever seen, and you can still be saved. See, that's the real confusion that's happening. Is what's really happening is the people of God are going, well, I don't think this is right because those people don't really belong. That's what Israel is, is really saying. Is they're saying, you know, we should probably get in here. <laughs> like, we're pretty good. We go to church all the time. And those guys, ew. I mean, they're nice and all, but come on. They, they're in the other part of heaven, right? They're on the other side of the tracks in heaven, right? And Paul says that doesn't how it works anymore. Jesus is for everyone. And so God, or so Paul tells us these two simple answers. He says, if you're confused about who gets in and who doesn't with God, let me make it simple. It only and always has to do with what you do with Jesus. And let me make it equally clear, that invitation is for everybody. It doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. So everyone can get in, and the only way you get in is through Jesus. And then Paul finishes by giving a challenge. Paul says, because these things are true, because it has everything to do with what you do with Jesus, and because that's open to everyone, 
Paul says somebody has to bring the invitation. He says everything matters on what you do with Jesus. And Jesus' offer is for everybody. But he says if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to bring the invitation. In verse 14, Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they going to hear unless some, without someone preaching? And how are they going to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, Paul says. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, Paul says, comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. Paul reminds us that the only way anybody will ever know about Jesus is if they hear who Jesus is. Paul says hearing comes through the word of Jesus. But Paul also, all over Scripture, reminds you and me that hearing comes through the word of Christ. But you know how the word of Christ comes to people? Through the church. And I ain't talking about the church on Sunday morning. I'm talking about us. Paul says that faith comes from hearing the word of Jesus. But Scripture is super clear that the word of Jesus goes to people who don't know him through you and through me. And, and it's actually not a great translation here, that, that word preach. Uh, it's, it's maybe one of the better ways to put it, I guess, in our language. But most of you know, if you don't, that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And the Greek word for preach is a, it's a word called kariso. And that word actually means to be a herald, to, to make an announcement. So, so back in Paul's day when he wrote this, a herald was, was in a sense kind of like the living newspaper. It, it was somebody who, they were the, the major way of transmitting news. So instead of writing an article and putting it in the paper or sending it out on Twitter, they didn't have that back in Paul's day, if you didn't know. You learned something this morning. Um, they would send somebody out into the marketplace and into the city streets, and they would literally tell everyone they saw the news that was happening. They would herald it. And Paul says that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's who you are. And I think too many times we read that verse and we hear the word preach, and then we go, well, not me. I don't have to do that on Sunday morning. <laughs> well, you're wrong. Paul isn't talking about Sunday morning. Paul's talking about every day of every person in every life. See, that word herald had nothing to do with in this context. That word herald literally means bringing the news to the streets. It, it literally means that you and I are supposed to tell people outside of this building. In the marketplace, preach does not refer only to what today we call sermons Heralds operated in the streets. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I shared this at this camp this week. Our theme for the whole week with these ninth and 10th graders was, if not you, then who? And the idea was that they would pick up this baton of faith and mission behind all of us old people, and they would go out and they would take up the mantle of leadership and ministry, and they would lead revival in their schools and in their towns, and it was this incredible week. And, and I talked about this verse quite a bit one night. It's my favorite description of what, what God tells you and I to be as followers of Jesus. He says, thanks be to God who in Jesus Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us, 
spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, we are the aroma of Jesus to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. I've always loved that, that picture. That, that Paul says you and I are the aroma of Jesus. That in our everyday life, people should walk by us and get a whiff of Jesus, essentially. I love that idea. I shared this at camp. It's a little bit corny, but I think it applies. And I said, here's, the, here's what I take Paul to say. That without you and I being the aroma of Jesus, the world will stink. <laughs> and I, I challenge them, and I would say this to you this morning, that if, if you think the world is not great, if you're here this morning and you don't like the culture that we're living in, if you don't like the things that you see around us, if you think the things outside of church walls kind of stink and they're not the way you want, if, if you're the one that posts on Facebook how the world's all going to hell and there's nothing we can do about it, can I, can I not so gently challenge you this morning? <laughs> Normally I say gently. I'm not going to do that this morning. I had a week of camp. I'm a little cranky. <laughs> all right? If, if that's you this morning... And you just think the whole world is horrible. Can I suggest that, that maybe the world stinks because you and I don't smell enough like Jesus? Maybe the culture and the people that don't know Jesus aren't the problem. Maybe the people of Jesus should stop complaining about the people who don't know Jesus. And maybe we should just start smelling a little more like Jesus around them. Maybe we should stop telling people who don't know Jesus to live like him, and maybe we should start living like him. Maybe we should be the kind of people who love people and show grace to people and provide hope to people in a way that when they're around us, they go, man, that just smells different. You, you and I, this is, this is how you're going to remember this this morning. You're, you're Jesus' sensi. You're supposed to be the person in your workplace and in your home and in your school and in your community that is plugged into Jesus all the time. And so when people walk by you, they go, hmm, something smells good. And they wonder what that is. And they walk by you and me and they say, hey, where'd you get that? And you said, oh, I got, I got that from Jesus. What, what would happen if the church just started living like Jesus? What if we were heralds? by the way we live. Paul says that's what it means to be an evangelist. It's not giving some great sermon. Being an evangelist is being the aroma of Jesus to everywhere you go. That you and I should live and talk in such a different way that people go, you know what, that's just different, that smells different. It's like cookies out of the oven. It draws people in. And think about it this morning. I want you to pause for a moment this morning. I will bet that if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, most of us, it's because of people in our life who you walked by and you met and they smelled like Jesus and you go, ooh, you know, I kind of want that. Like, Think this morning, who was that person or people in your life that maybe even before you were thinking about Jesus, they just exuded the beauty of who Jesus was? That any time you were around them, it just, it just smelled different. It was something different. I don't know about who that was for you. It took me a long time to come to Jesus, but I thought about that this week. And honestly, this, this one person kept coming back, and I had great people in my life who loved God and exuded faith and all those things growing up. But honestly, if I could think about the first person that I ever think of that I got around that just seemed different, even though I didn't know why, there was a guy in my life called, he was my Uncle Bryce. 
Well, he's actually my great-uncle Bryce, but we just called him Uncle Bryce. And, and I didn't know why, but he was the first person in my life that I can remember as a kid. Like, I would be in the room with him, and I'd just go, man, something's different with this dude. Like, like he would talk about what was going on in his church, and, and it was in a way that, like, it just changed his life. And he lived with this integrity and, and this character that I went, boy, that is different than me. And he's had this gentleness and this kindness and, and this grace about him where I went, boy, I, I think I want to grow up to be like that guy. And I, I didn't know why at the time. But what drew me in was not some great sermon he preached, and it wasn't some great testimony that he gave. It was that every time I was around him, things just smelled different. And I just was like, man, I, there must be something there. See, this confusion that's happening in, in the life of Israel, it, it's because, because they've forgotten who God told them was coming. They've made their life about doing the right thing instead of about being the right, following the right person. And, and what's really happened is, is they're just, they don't understand. And Paul longs, he, he cries out for these people who are far from God to realize who Jesus is. To stop tripping over the Savior and start planting their life on him. Paul started chapter 10 today by saying that his heart's desire was to see the people, Israel, come back to God. And in fact, last week in Romans chapter 9, you guys talked about this. Paul says what I think might be the craziest thing I've ever heard. And Paul said some crazy stuff. <laughs> but in chapter 9, Paul literally says, he says, I would choose to be cut off from Jesus. I would choose to give up eternal life if it meant that these people would be saved. He says his heart's desire is so much for people who don't know God to come to him that he'd give up his own salvation if those people could be saved. Church, what, what's our heart desire this morning? I gotta be honest with you. I'm not there. I could lie to you. <laughs> but but Paul, Paul talks about that, and I, I, I have trouble relating to that. I have trouble grasping that. I, I'm not affected that way as much as I should. When I see people who are far from God, it, it doesn't wound me and break my heart like that. It doesn't affect me the way that it should, which probably means I need to spend more time with Jesus. And I need to get Jesus to give me his heart. This whole week of camp, we had that theme of if not you, then who? And it was all kind of based on Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus went through all the cities and the villages and he taught in the synagogues. He preached the gospel of kingdom. He was healing. And he saw crowds. And Scripture says he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers or laborers into his harvest. And I, I read that verse the very first night they were there, and I, I told these students, I said, I look at Jesus, and when he walked through crowds, he saw something that, that I don't always see. Some of you have known me for 15 years. I would bet you would say compassion might not be real high on my strong suits, right? <laughs> if you feel bad about that, I don't care because I don't have any compassion. <laughs> and I told these students, I said, sometimes I read stories like that and, 
it makes me think of, like, I don't know, growing up, we, we had those, you remember those magic eye posters? Those stupid things that would suck three hours of your life? Like, it was all this jumbled mess, and supposedly, this is what I'm told, that you would look at it, and you would focus on a small part like this, and you hold it next to your face, and then you'd pull it away, and people would go, oh, I see dolphins jumping over waves, or angels flying from heaven, and I would go, I see nothing. Like, I think you people just want to make me look stupid. And I said, sometimes I feel that way when I read that passage. They're like, Jesus walked through crowds of people, and what he saw, I looked at, and just, I just see a bunch of people. And Jesus said, oh, I see people who, who don't have a shepherd. And, and that word compassion in the Greek, it, it literally means to feel it in your gut. To feel, actually, it means to feel it in your bowels. That when Jesus would see people who didn't know him, it turned his stomach. It affected him physically. And I spoke that at camp that first night, and I said, I, I don't see that all the time. I want to. I want to be able to see what Jesus sees, but I don't always see it. The last day of camp on Friday, and the band can come up, uh, there was this, we did this deal where we had all the kids take a spiritual gifts inventory, and then we set up uh, 12 tables on a basketball court, and each table represented a spiritual gift, and you went from table to table every 10 minutes, and you learned about what spiritual gifts were and what that gift was and how it applied to you, and it was super cool. Like, it went 50 times better than we anticipated it would go. And one of the tables had this three people at every table that were teaching, and one of them was this tiny little girl who'll be a freshman in college next year named AJ. And AJ had been pretty quiet throughout most of the week and really involved in games, but I hadn't really gotten to know her. And I was just sitting there watching everything because I didn't have to do anything. And I couldn't even tell you what their spiritual gift was they were talking about. And all of a sudden, me and, and the other two deans are sitting on this log, and we're just watching everything. And all of a sudden, AJ begins to talk about, uh, not, about being bold in your faith. And her voice starts to rise, and all of a sudden, we're all sitting there looking over and she pounds the table at one point, and we're like, all right, this tiny little girl. And all of a sudden, she starts crying. She can't hold it in. And she says, I came to this camp, and I came here to be your family group leader. And last night, we were talking about, I trained them all how to go home and start their own Bible study. And she goes, I heard that. And, and she goes, my heart just broke because I wasted four years of my life, and I never did that. And now I'm going to college, and all those people that I could have impacted, I didn't because I wasn't living on fire for Jesus. I was just going through the motions, and that means I was ashamed. I never would have said I was ashamed, but that means I was ashamed. And she's bawling. And she's just going, I'm going to go to college. And when I get there, I'm starting one of these. And I'm going to post it on my Instagram every day. And I'm going to tell everybody I meet. I'm going to invite people to come and open Scripture with me. And I'm going to keep inviting until they come. And if they don't come, I'll keep inviting. And we're going to open Scripture. And I'm going to change my campus. And all of a sudden, the deans and I are sitting over there like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. And you know, we're bawling. And she gets done. And she's just, I mean, we are like, whoo, all right. And we get to chapel that night. And I finish the week. And I get done. And this tiny little girl, she comes up to me and AJ, and she just gives me this huge hug, and she says, thank you so much. And, and I grabbed her by the shoulders, and I, I pushed her back, and I looked her in the eyes, and I said, no, thank you. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I forgot why we do this. And I said, I used to be like you. And somewhere along the way, I, I forgot that. And I said, whatever it takes for you to change your campus, I'm all in. 
Church, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you forgot what the aroma of Christ really looks like in your life. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but, but, but you've, not been, you've not been being Jesus to other people. You see the world and its problems and you don't see the world that needs a shepherd. The answer is actually really easy for us. It all has to do with what you and I will do with Jesus. He's either the foundation or the stumbling block for everything in our life. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus has never been in charge of your life. Maybe you've been confused about this who gets in and who doesn't and what does it mean and all that stuff. Because sometimes we can make it confusing. <laughs> Let me tell you this morning, it's actually really, really simple. It all has to do with what you do with Jesus. If he's the Lord and Savior of your life, you're in. If he's not, you're not. But here's the good news. He's for everybody. There's not a single person, man, woman, or child that's sitting here that Jesus didn't die to save. It just depends on what you do with him. And if Jesus is the foundation of your life, then what are you doing with that? We are called to be the aroma of Christ, the heralds that tell people the good news of Jesus. To let people know that you can never be good enough, you can only come to the one who's always good. What will you do with Jesus this morning? We invite you to stand and worship and build your life on him.